0: Hey to everyone tuning in today. My name is Abe. I am a pastor here at the Church of the Beloved. So glad that you're joining us today, it's still virtually, but I'm glad that you've taken the time to worship God with us for a little while longer, virtually at least. You know, if this is your first time with us, I'm so glad that you're joining us and we'd love to get you connected to our beloved community. So I'm gonna ask you if you can just text COTB to 97000 or you can go to and. Fill out one of those newcomer forms, and we'll be happy to get you connected. I don't know about you, uh, but it's been a little bit of a week for me. uh, So I'm gonna ask if we could together pause just to pray. There's this quote from uh, Martin Luther. He's one of the uh, instigators of the Protestant Reformation. He said this, I have so much to do today, I have to spend at least three hours in prayer. We're not gonna do that, but I do wanna come with that mindset, that attitude. We want to come into the presence of God because there's just so much going on. So let's pray. Right now. right Almighty Father, <clears throat> as you reign in heaven with your Son, our High Priest, I ask you, please hear our prayers now. May the words of my mouth be a conduit of your truth alone, God. Holy Spirit, I beg you to speak through me. I humbly lift this request to you in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I was uh, I was listening to an old sermon uh, by a pastor. Many of you know him, John Piper. He's in Minnesota. Uh, he's retired now. And he, he started off his message um, by sharing how much he loved being a local church pastor who spoke from the same pulpit every week because it would give him the opportunity to clarify or to rectify uh, the previous week's message. And as I start picking up more of the responsibility to preach here to our beloved community, uh, Pastor James and Pastor Tua, they're transitioning out, I, I kind of feel the same. Partially because last week I felt like it was uh, only half a message. Um, so I get to continue on from what we did last week. Now, last week, or previously on the COTB live stream, we, we focused on answering a question, a single question, What is faith and, and I spoke about how our faith is in the already but not yet and how our faith gives us the ability uh, the ability to see the work of heaven in our current reality our, our faith allows us to experience the spiritual realm while we're here on the earthly and we need to allow that faith to drive us to, to encourage us to bring us to stand fast to hold on so what I want to do today is I want to continue on from last week, and just focus on the practical application of last week's message, how, now that we get the basic concept of what faith is, uh, how do we persevere, how do we persevere in that faith, how do we endure during trial, and as we look at that practical side of life as a Christian, I want to make it a little bit easier, just going to give you three points, Basically, living out our faith, living out our certainty or our assurance in God's promise in the things hoped for and the things not seen, I, I believe that chapter 12 is allowing us to see three things. One, to see the cloud, to consider the Christ, and to love the correction. Now, before I explain myself and I unpack these three, I hope, practical steps, I, I'm going to You know, to see the cloud, to, to, to consider the Christ, to love the correction. I want to point something out. The pastor of this sermon letter in Hebrews acknowledges how hard it is to live a Christian life. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak needs. It's hard to choose Christ to follow. Verse 11 says, for, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Because you know, I'm not a masochist myself. I, I don't enjoy the difficulties associated with discipline. I'd rather not get it Personally, it's hard to choose to follow Christ. Verse 3, it starts out by saying, in your struggle against sin. It'd be so much easier to live a life where you didn't really care. Because it's hard to choose to follow Christ. I'll tell you, there was a period in my life during college into my late 20s, all before I I met Suzette, where my life was fully my own, where the impact of my decisions, I didn't take into consideration anyone else. I didn't think of my friends. I didn't think of my family. I definitely didn't think about God. And I'll tell you, very honestly, it was much easier. It was an easier life because it is easier to be self-centered. It's simpler to wallow in my own thoughts and not to consider others, especially Jesus. So, though the grace that God offers us is free to those who call Christ their Savior, it's not cheap. There there is a struggle that comes with this life. Dallas Willard, he's a philosopher who passed away, he wrote that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. See, the pastor of Hebrews understands that the life of God's beloved is not an easy one, but It is one that that God has prepared and God has planned out for us. And it's a life that we are now able to approach with confidence and with power. The first tool that we have in our toolkit to face those struggles of life, the the first answer to the question of how do I persevere, is to see the cloud of witnesses. In verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. In other words, since we are not alone. I'll tell you right now in light of how we have to social distance and isolate it seems a little impossible to believe but it is the truth. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The, the image I get when I first read this uh, is of the amazing race. I don't know if you all have ever watched this show It's basically a bunch of two-person teams. They have to solve these clues as they travel around the world and to get to a checkpoint in each country that they happen to be at first. And and the last uh, last one to get to the checkpoint typically gets eliminated from from the game. In the last episode, it shows all the final contestants running to the finish line with all the former contestants, all the ones that had been eliminated, standing along the sidelines, cheering them on the ones who had run the race before, the ones who understand what these last remaining teams are going through, what they've endured, these are the ones that are the cloud of witnesses. Not, as I was preparing this, I realized we can't take the analogy too far because the cloud of witnesses that they have are all losers. Uh, but I think ultimately you get my, your point, and I was actually trying to think of another analogy, and I thought maybe it's like, Simone Biles, who I think is amazing. She's a singularly amazing gymnast, even has a move named after her. And this is like performing your routine, if you were a gymnast, with Simone cheering you on, the one who had paved the way for you. See, ultimately, we are not alone. So the first thing that I want to ask you to do is to see that cloud. The cloud of witnesses are those as the pastor of this sermon letter pointed out who have gone before. All those folks that the pastor had spent time naming in the previous chapter from, from Abel to Abraham, from Sarah to Rahab, these people had gone before us and are now encouraging us. They're cheering us on right now to, to run our race, to fight the good fight, to, to not give up. Uh, but the cloud of witnesses is it, not limited to those who have gone before it also includes those who go with us now the cloud of witnesses includes those in heaven and those on earth but the question is not how do i contend with my faith it is how do we contend with our faith in first Kings chapter 19 it tells the story of elijah and elijah had just done this amazing miracle where he had faced the prophets of baal he smoked them with god's awesome power and then right afterwards he's being chased by jezebel he ends up hiding in a cave and he starts moaning and saying i'm all alone nobody loves me everyone's abandoned me and god's response to him was you're not alone and then he showed him see we are similarly uh, instructed to use this great cloud of uh, witnesses as a source of our encouragement and our strength but but don't just see the cloud we are called to also be the cloud. We we are called to be a part of this great cloud of witnesses, which is the church, and we together are the church. We are the beloved of God because of Christ alone. And, And you and I, we are called to be the encouragement described in this passage. See, the way to overcome the despair of the world is to have hope in our Christ. The way to battle the depression of isolation is to have community with our sisters and our brothers. Because we are the cloud of witnesses by which we are called to hold fast to our faith. Now, my wife and I, uh, we listen to NPR, and there's a show called Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. It's hilarious, and we love it. It's a news quiz show. And recently, uh, a few weekends ago, the guest on the show was someone named Jordan Jonas. And they introduced this individual as the winner of a show called Alone. We'd never heard of it, so we went online uh, to YouTube, and looked it up and I have to tell you, it's a hilarious and it's an amazing show. If you haven't heard of it, basically what they do is they drop a bunch of contestants, they're all survivalists, in the middle of the Alaskan tundra and they are all by themselves with just 10 items that they've picked and a video camera and the last person standing wins. On day 77, after having been by himself this entire time, just hunting with a bow and arrow. He had to make himself a shelter. He was using rabbit's feet as as toilet paper. This last person, Jordan Jonas, was the winner. So he's now being interviewed on this show. And they asked him, how did you do it? How, How did you survive all by yourself for 77 days? Tell us, what did you do to stop from going mental? And his response was simple. He said, he pretended to not be alone. Uh, he he would put on these different skits for himself and play multiple roles. He he reenacted the storming of Normandy and he played a bunch of different parts in that. The one we saw, he was uh, showing how to make uh, moose marrow ice cream. And in this, it wasn't by himself. He was the chef and he was also the female host. Uh, And he basically created a community of people to help him survive. Because he understood that survival when you're alone is to not be alone. As I I mentioned, I want today to be relatively practical. So I want to talk about what this could look like for you to encourage and to be encouraged by the cloud of witnesses, How, how, how it is to understand that you are not alone. Now, I'm not trying to be legalistic or prescriptive at all, what I wanna do is just talk about a few examples that I've heard of in our church, how we are actively engaging the cloud of witnesses here to to encourage each other in the hopes that you might be inspired to do something that works for you. Um, My wife has this thing that she does. uh, She bakes a bunch of cookies, puts them in a Ziploc bag, and then delivers them to folks in our community, in our neighborhood. In our church, she, she only takes a couple uh, because her intent is not to just do a contactless drop-off and just run away. No, but her intent is to, to catch up, to spend time very socially distanced with the cloud of witnesses and be a part of the cloud of witnesses. There's a number of folks in our church right now who gather other, with other women and men during this season of Lent to spend time preparing their heart for the day that we remember our Savior's death and resurrection. They don't spend a lot of time, just a few minutes, but it's a beautiful thing. It, it, it is the cloud of witnesses being the cloud of witnesses to each other. There's another one in our church who walks her dog intentionally past uh, the apartments of people in our church, in our community. So she can just say hello and, and be an encouragement to them. Another one, another person uh, sends actual letters, handwritten notes uh, to encourage through the mail. There's another person who shared that they are sending text messages in the morning to say, hey, I'm praying for you, and then prays for them. See, we're, we're not alone. So be encouraged by the cloud, and I'm going to ask you to encourage that cloud. This, this week, please, consider reaching out to someone in your community group or or not in your small group. Spend a moment with someone you normally wouldn't. Have a virtual meal with someone outside your regular friend group. See the cloud, be the cloud, because we're not alone. Now, the second uh, piece of advice I discern from today's passage on how we can live, live our faith out, our assurance in God's promise, Um, is to consider the Christ. In verse 3, it says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I I admit the second point, consider the Christ, it's a little obvious, but we persevere in our faith by focusing on Christ, the one who gave everything for you and me. This is what we will, that will give us the strength to carry on. And I wanna emphasize this point because Jesus suffered so that uh, I could have hope. His death and his resurrection on the cross is the means by which I am redeemed, and his life is the example by which I am called to live. Now, if we think about who is the Christ that we are called to consider, I'll tell you, that's a whole other sermon. But I do wanna spend just a moment considering that question who is the christ and i want to start with this great underlying assumption that trip lee spells out trip introduces himself as a rapper a pastor and author and he wrote this once he said if jesus was just another guy then knowing him makes no difference but if jesus is the son of god and the only savior of the world then knowing him makes all the difference i'll tell you jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And because Jesus is fully man, he understands our pain. He understands our struggles. Jesus wept. Jesus felt sorrow. Jesus understood what it means to be scared. He he didn't want to be crucified on the cross, but he was still obedient to the point of death. Jesus loved kids. He, He didn't stress out because kids were running around while he was preaching. He told the people, bring them to me. Jesus understands that there are times when you need to be alone. I mean, he would get up early in the morning to pray so that he could start his day with his dad and not take away from his time with his sisters and his brothers. Jesus even, this Christ that we're to consider, he even redefined family. When He he turned to his disciples one day and, and those who were making the decision to give their lives to follow him, and he said, these folks are my sisters and my brothers. This is my family. Jesus had compassion, has compassion for the vulnerable and the weak. He, he would literally stop on the way to an appointment just to take a moment to bless the poor and the infirm. This Christ we are to consider, this Jesus, he's not sexist, he's not racist, he does not prefer one gender or one ethnic group over another. He didn't care that it, to talk to or spend time with a Samaritan woman was unheard of. He did it because he knows and knew that the plan had always been from the very beginning for the Christ who would come from the people of Israel would bless the entire world. This same Christ that we are called to consider, this Jesus, lived off of hope just as we're called to do. In, in verse two, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see that the, the joy that was set before him he could see that there was a certainty a certainty, and assurance. There, there was something before him. Joy in the knowledge that his sacrifice, his willingness to obey God and to take the ultimate betrayal, to, to suffer the most humiliating torture and shameful way to die of the time, all of this was something he was willing to endure because of the promise of joy. He, he did it for me and he did it for you. He did it. Did it for us when we're called to consider the christ we are called to understand that jesus is the preeminent and the perfect example of how we are called to live our lives now now back in the day there was a there was a trend um everyone used to wear these rubber bla- bracelets and it would say wwjd and i remember back in the 80s when i think it first started It took me a minute to look at that and ask somebody, what what was that about? I didn't know. And it explains, it stands for what would Jesus do? And the idea behind it was to ask yourself the question, whenever you're posed with a problem or dilemma, what would Jesus do? And all the cool Christian kids there, they were wearing it for a second. Then it started to become a whole other thing, you know. People would say, oh, what would John do? Or what would Jose do? what would, what, insert whatever name there. The thing is, it, it is the right question to ask. If, if our goal is to live in faith, to, to abide in the certainty and the assurance of God's promise of heaven, then we need to consider the Christ and, and we need to think of what it would be that Jesus would do. And the best way to know how to answer that question is through getting to know the answer to that question through spending time to consider the Christ. My first ask for you was uh, to see and to be the cloud, to intentionally spend some time being the encouraging cloud of believers so that you can also be encouraged. And just a little side note, a tangent here. Um, I want to ask, don't seek to, to encourage expecting something in return from those that you are encouraging. I, I'm asking that you, being the cloud is seeking to basically pay it forward. The second ask for you to consider is to consider the Christ by getting to know the Christ. Intentionally spending time getting to know who it is we proclaim to be our Messiah and our King. And what this looks like is gonna be unique to you. I mean, you could join a small devotional study at one of our campuses over Lent. There's one being led by Kirsty in Worker Park, one led by, by Andrew in the South Loop, there's one in downtown. Maybe it's taking time every morning just to get up, especially harder now with daylight savings. Uh, get up early in the morning to spend time with God. Maybe it's joining your friends in a, in a Bible reading plan or spending time in small groups. Considering the Christ by getting to know the Christ, getting to know Jesus. So see and be the cloud, consider the Christ. And the last point I think the pastor is making in the passage that was read today is to love, love the correction. The, the struggles and the pains that we endure may be God's way of correcting or directing us, and it is, it is out of a deep-rooted love for us as his beloved children. In a previous life, I worked as a licensed clinical social worker. I, I worked in foster care, I did counseling, uh, I, I did a whole bunch of other things before moving into the software industry and now, also serving as a pastor here at COTV. And I, I mentioned this because in that previous role, I saw the worst when it comes to demonstrations of parenting, physical abuse, sexual abuse, exploitation, molestation. So I can fully appreciate and sympathize with those who hear this analogy of a good, good father and think, I don't know what a good, good father is because I've never experienced it. You know, reading verse 9 for some of those is going to be where it says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. It might cause one to think, that's not me. It'll never be me. It breaks my heart. It pains me. As I know it pains the good, good father above to see that there are those who have no example, of this type of devotion from a dad. But today's message applies to you as well. Because the analogy to earthly fathers is one that highlights the inadequacy that that type of devotion really is, how incomplete our patriarchs and our matriarchs are at correcting us, but our good, good father, the perfect high priest, the Holy Spirit, the correction they provide is intended to move us closer to God, to draw us nearer to the Holy One. Now, C.S. Lewis, he wrote, God whispers in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I, know, I know it's a hard time for a lot of folks, But we are assured of god's promise of a perfect home being prepared for us right now because we as his beloved and his redeemed are living in the already but not yet and 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 as part of this journey we're going to make mistakes and we're going to make decisions that focus on our passions and our whims versus god's intentions for us and during those times god will discipline My ask of you is this, do not misconstrue the abuses and the atrocities, the injustices and the inequalities. Do not use these things and say of our God that he is just uh, disciplining deserved sinners. You know, I've I've heard pastors say things like, AIDS was God's act of discipline on gay people. I've heard people say that the Holocaust was an act of God's discipline on Jewish people. No, I don't think so. If nothing else, it was a beacon to Christians, the Christian community to stop being so blind to what was right in front of us. It was God's megaphone to our deaf ears, for us to love God by loving people, to be the cloud by considering the Christ. See, my last point is this, to to love the correction, it includes understanding that the correction in our lives, the signs, the hurdles, the pains, it's not because we deserve them, though we might. It's because he desires us. It's because he wants to give us the clues to lead us closer to him. He's he's shouting in our pain so that we might be able to turn to him and say, Help me. Loving the correction is not saying to God, you know, give me more, I make my life harder. I love being disciplined. No. It's saying and praying, God help me. And it's not necessarily saying, God, take this away from me. It's because we're called to live in the hope of the perfect upside down kingdom being prepared. We're called to live in the hope of a heaven where all the pain, all the sorrow, all the, all the tears and suffering will go away. It's praying while here on this earth, while living in this place, while in this moment praying for God to help me through it we're called to use the correction and understand that it comes our way because of God's love and devotion for us. And it is the cloud. And it is considering the Christ that allows us to take this correction and to draw near to our God, to hold on to our faith. So I'm going to ask you to see and be the cloud. I'm going to ask you to consider Christ. I'm going to ask you to love the correction that comes from God's love for you and for me. I know it's hard. I know it's very hard at times to hold fast to our faith. A faith that is an assurance in the things hoped for and the things not seen. But we can. By the grace of God, by the power of his might, we can. Be that cloud of witnesses. Consider the Christ who gave it all for us. Love the correction that comes because of his love for us.